It's Wednesday, June 29th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Wednesday. Hey, now. We've got some Nike earnings. We're going <laughs> to yes. dip into the full mailbag, and we've got a stalwart American company desperately trying to rebrand itself. That's not accurate. They're not trying to rebrand themselves. But does it the, smack of desperation? Uh, well, you know what? We'll get into that. <laughs> we'll see whether or not it does smack of desperation. Let's start with Nike, though. The fourth quarter was mixed. They beat on profit. They missed on revenue. And it is the third straight quarter where sales have been a little bit light. Uh, stock's doing all right, though. What did you make of the quarter? Yeah, that was a really interesting initial reaction, too. Like, uh, so we have Nike on the watch list and million dollar portfolio. Didn't you mention the other day you were, and, and maybe I'm reading between the lines, but I took what you said the other day. You were talking about how, well, maybe, maybe it gets down around 50 and that's where it gets interesting. And I took sure. that to mean you were personally hoping. That it dropped. You oh, were pers- I was. You were hoping like you were hoping they were going to miss big on revenue. The stock drops to the high forties, and then you just back up the truck. Yeah, everybody's freaking out over the Brexit <laughs> stuff, and I mean to be clear, this is a business that um, shouldn't really see big polarizing drops like that very often. It's a pretty reliable um, established business today, and and if you saw the reaction to the stock initially yesterday, I don't know if you saw the after hours reaction. I did not. We we were a little bit giddy on the MDB team because we were sitting there in a stock talk meeting like right before that earnings release came out and thinking, hey, fifty dollars is where we start getting interested in really digging into this and seeing if it belongs in the portfolio. That's kind of the valuation we we've started to, to see where maybe opportunity really uh, exists. The stock was down forty nine dollars and change right after the earnings release. We thought, ooh, man, this could work out really well. Let's go dig through the the call here and find out what's going on. And and then today the stock is up. So they're just completely in in, in less than twenty four hours. We've we've why the turnaround? Do you think? Well, I think there are a couple of things. In in the conference call is always. Um, a point of clarity, and I think honestly, one of the big reasons why the market is is okay with things today is because they were asked, given the current situation, uh, economic conditions maybe not as as good as perhaps when they were initially looking at this at this new year. Were they going to revise their guidance downward at all? And and management was very clear: no, they actually think. They're in a very good position. They like the targets that they've set. They don't see any real weakness in their brand, and it's such a well diversified business anyway. Um, globally speaking, I mean, it makes perfect sense. So I think whenever you see uh, or hear certainty like that, um, it, it's a vote of confidence. And, and I think the market look when when you have when the market starts starts uh, witnessing all of this type of volatility from these headlines like Brexit and whatnot. The one thing you can count on is a flight to quality. And and Nike is one of the most quality businesses out there. So this is a business I think where where a lot of a lot of money is going to be going to as opposed to away from. Um, and and I mean you look at, at what they're doing with their direct to consumer business, which is internet stores, all that stuff. I mean it's now fully a quarter of the overall business. I mean sales of eight billion dollars for the for the direct to consumer side of the business. That was about six and a half billion last year. Is around twenty percent of the business last year. So it's 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 getting better, and margins were a little bit challenged. Um, but but overall, I mean, I think what for for the for the year margins were up for the quarter, a little bit challenged. But I think all in all, 
this is this is a tough one to really keep down for an extended period of time. And I think you know the market came to came to that conclusion as well. Any talk on the call that you saw regarding the upcoming Summer Olympics, the amount of money? I mean, Nike's a huge sponsor when it comes to the Summer Olympic Games. And, you know, there's the old saying, you got to spend money to make money. They're certainly <laughs> spending money. Yeah. But that's that's worked out with them in the past. It we, has. We, we saw that four years ago. We saw that during the World Cup in 2014, the Men's World Cup in 2014. So the, this has uh, been something that for for those who sort of look at the profit line and get concerned about marketing expenses rising, this is another area where Mike, where Nike has done well. Very well, and I think that they'll they'll continue to do that. I mean, this is essentially one of the biggest advertising events for them, right? I mean, professional athletes, amateur athletes, whatever it is, when they're out there touting your brand, I mean, that's that's the best form of advertising, right there. And and Nike knows it, and and so they don't ever let any of these big global events slip by. And, and I think that. For them to continue, I don't think they can ever really fall asleep at the wheel regarding that. I mean, I don't think this is this is something where you say, "All right, well, now we're done." I think they're always going to have to continue investing in the brand like that. That's just the nature of the business. And when your brand is a competitive advantage, you need to treat it as such. And so we'll see them continue doing that. I mean, I mean, you know, they mentioned the Olympics. I think twice in the call, there was nothing really substantial there, but. I think that you'll see them continue to plow more and more money into these types of events, and I think you can expect to see Under Armour doing the same thing because ultimately they have the goal of trying to supplant Nike at some point in our lifetime. Whether they do that or not, who knows? But I'm going to enjoy uh, owning owning my my Under Armour shares and, and watching them give it the old college try. So last night, the last couple of nights, we've been watching in my home the Olympic trials. There was the gymnastics on Sunday night, and then the last two nights, it's been the the U.S. swimming trials. Michael Phelps was swimming last night, Baltimore boy, mm-hmm. Michael Phelps, and I couldn't help but notice when they when they first introduced him, he was just decked out in Under Armour gear. <laughs> yeah. he, just, he had the well, sweatshirt. He's that's, you know. And, and I mean, I think they they've done such a wonderful job in in getting good athletes. Number one, I mean, that's really the biggest challenge is is convincing someone to come to come over to your to your brand, right? It's like, hey, look, I know Nike rules the world, but we've got some pretty good stuff too here. Give us a shot. And so I think Kevin Plank did a very good job, sort of beginning locally. And really succeeding on that front, and then being able to expand that circle, just making it bigger and bigger and bigger. And and now, I mean, Under Armour's to the point now where they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I mean, when you remember the Winter Olympics with the whole issue about the speed skating suits, mm-hmm. and you know that turned out they 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 actually ended up using that to their advantage. Which I mean, at the time, I mean that was the news was like Under Armour's toast, and and it just turned out to be the total opposite. MarketFoolery at Fool.com is our email address. Uh, before we get to the question, uh, first, thank you to Darren Hoke, uh, who sent <laughs> a very a wonderful, uh, a very long story. So it's too long to read, but it was basically because we were talking the other day about uh, Taylor Muckerman's impending nuptials and eventful things that happen at weddings. And Darren <laughs> shared a, a, a great long story. Um, not his wedding, he, uh, not a wedding he was attending. He was just mowing his lawn, and there was a wedding reception across the street. And uh, long story short, all hell broke loose. So and, and th- by all hell, you mean knife fight? Yeah, knife fight. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you, Darren, for that. Uh, from Dan in New York City, 
My question relates to when a company gets bought out, uh, for example, Microsoft buying LinkedIn. What happens when the stock shoots up like that? Should you sell? Should you wait until the company announces what happens with shareholders invested in the company getting bought out? With PayPal, Fitbit, TripAdvisor, and Gulp GoPro, and he did write Gulp, <laughs> and GoPro in my portfolio, it would be nice to have an understanding or a, and or a game plan in place, as I know one morning I'm going to wake up to buyout news, and I don't want to get caught flat-footed. That's a great way to think about it, just in general. But also, I think I think Dan is is providing guidance for investors out there that you know what, when you look at your portfolio, look and see if you see, look and see if any of the companies that are in your portfolio right now are a buyout target. Whether you know, and and you can look at. I mean, let's just take the four he mentioned: PayPal, Fitbit, TripAdvisor, GoPro. You know, Fitbit and GoPro are have been challenged recently sure. in their performance in the stock price. PayPal and TripAdvisor, that's not the case. Having said that, I, I and I'm a PayPal shareholder. I could see someone walking up to PayPal's front door with a Godfather offer, and they go, "You know what? We're going to take this." That, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be totally crazy. I mean, PayPal did recently just spin off on on its own, so I. I would bet that they probably want to figure out a way to sort of forge their own path sure. here. But I mean, people talk about Facebook trying to get their uh, spot in the payments industry, and perhaps PayPal would be the easiest way to do that. I mean, that would be a pretty sweet offer they would have to make. I think um, I, I'm a TripAdvisor shareholder, as many listeners probably already know, but I, I think TripAdvisor is a very attractive acquisition target. Um, I never bought it. In the hopes that it would be acquired, and I really do hope they continue just to kind of do their own thing. But when you look at what they have in regard to the the user generated content reviews and all that stuff that just doesn't exist elsewhere, they just have the brand for that. That's what they do really well. You could see a business like TripAdvisor doing doing wonders for Priceline, for example, or even if you look at Google. Google doesn't really have a spot in the travel industry. I know they like to think they do, but I mean they really don't. And I bet you that TripAdvisor would really, really help give them that that entry. So, I mean, there's certainly some possibilities there. I think that um his question's a very good one and what do you do? Because it's exciting news to see, because your stock typically jumps a lot in one day, and that just is a you typically react pretty well. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> nobody, nobody that I know. Um, I, I think um, it, it it is a matter of what you. It's a matter of what your cash position is. I think it's a matter of ultimately. How much time yeah, I mean, you have? The short answer, Dan, is it depends. Yeah, it does. It does depend. <laughs> it and depends I mean, on so, your situation. And so I'll say what we're doing in, in million dollar portfolio, for example, because this is, as I think, a good example. I mean, I I don't own LinkedIn shares anymore. I sold them at the beginning of the year, and um, in million dollar portfolio, what we're doing because we still have our shares and we're going to keep them. We're going to keep them until this deal goes through, unless something comes up that convinces us to to operate. Otherwise, and and the reason is because right now we don't have a pressing need for the cash. We have a nice cash position that we can use to make opportunistic buys when we want. There's always the possibility of another offer coming in. That's highly unlikely, I think, at this point in the game, though. 
I think that Microsoft is really going to be the best suitor. We've we've seen more and more news shake out as far as previous offers and Salesforce and whatnot. But I think that ultimately, you look at LinkedIn today and it's at one hundred and eighty nine dollars, hundred ninety dollars a share. The offers for one hundred ninety six dollars. So there is a little bit of a uh, there is a little bit of a, of a waiting game being played there. And so some people may just want to go ahead and sell and just move on because they have better things they want to do with the money, or they they think they do at least. And other people they think, okay, well, I don't need the cash, and so I can afford to just hang on and see if anything else materializes. And um, you know, if the deal, if, if there's another better deal that comes, a better offer that comes in, then that's great. I mean, the downside to that is, I mean, if for some reason the deal gets called off, then you have to wonder, okay, you have to ask yourself the question at least, is LinkedIn a business that I want to continue owning? And I, you know, I mean, that's everybody's everybody's kind of decision they have to make. I, I personally don't think so. I mean, I've just become a bit uh, disenchanted with kind of the direction they've been taking, but uh, I think chances are this deal goes through, and then it just becomes a matter of, do you need the cash? Do you have the time? Can you afford to wait? And then you make your decision accordingly. Sales of breakfast cereal are on the decline here in the U.S., but don't worry, Kellogg has a plan. <laughs> opening on July 4th, Independence Day, Kellogg is uh, opening up a cereal cafe in New York City as it looks to reinvent cereal's image. Uh, Bowls of cereal at this cafe are going to cost $6.50 up to $7.50. And again, it's a bowl of cereal, but you do get special ingredients like pistachios, lemon zest, because I know that's what I want in my Cap'n Crunch is some lemon zest. Well, have you tried it? I haven't tried it. I haven't either. Is this. You know what? Obviously, I'm inclined to make fun of this move. Sure. Because it's right there. Sure. It's ripe for the picking. And yet, when you look at Kellogg as a business, it has done pretty well. The stock's certainly the stock is is in the the you know, is in the somewhat smaller category of stocks that have done well over the past twelve months. It's it's pretty handily beaten the market over the last twelve months. But they do have this challenge that other Companies that make breakfast cereal are are wrestling with as well. It's it's kind of like soda sales in the United States over the last decade. Now we, this this is this is not a decade plus decline that we've seen with breakfast cereal, but it is a challenge. It's a I, big I don't know, challenge. Does this does this help them at all? Well, I'm glad that we're talking about this. I mean, cereal is. We're both fans. A subject near and dear to my heart. I am a big fan, and I bet you, in, in my pantry right now, I do believe I have a box of, of corn pops. So Kellogg representing, <laughs> and it's probably right next to the Cheez-Its. <laughs> um, I, so yeah, I think cereal is cereal is a bit of is a bit of a it's in a challenging challenging uh, environment right now. I think as as people focus more and more on what they're eating. And you see more and more options out there as far as like cereals that are at least perceived to be better for you, or just more options as far as like breakfast options. I mean, it's not just cereal, right? I think Pop Tarts are probably, you know, facing a pretty good uphill battle as well. I mean, those things can't be good for you at all, can they? They're super convenient, though. Yeah, I mean, they are. They, Mike, you know, they do have eight essential vitamins. <laughs> in them. Is is it only eight? Uh, I, th- I think it's eight. Yeah. Imagine what would happen if they bumped that up to nine. <laughs> 
or even 10. Boy, now you're talking double digits. That could be really, that could be huge. That could be a game changer for um, the Pop-Tarts. I, so, I, I, think it's, I think we can make fun of this because they probably aren't investing much in doing this. I mean, it creates awareness for them, and that's probably okay. I mean, you can buy a box of cereal, obviously, for much less than you can buy one bowl in this store. I think we were talking before taping, and it's kind of interesting to compare this to basically what coffee has done, right? Because for the longest time, I mean, you could just make a cheap cup of coffee in your house, and that's what that was, and you just kind of went on with life. And at some point, Starbucks convinced us that it was okay to go buy that expensive cup of coffee and to do it over and over and over again, along with all sorts of other stuff. And does cereal hold the same sort of power over the consumer that coffee does? I'm inclined to say no. I mean, my preference is notwithstanding. I mean, I'm always going to enjoy a good bowl of cereal, but but I don't think people but you are, don't need it three times a day. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people I don't think people care about cereal as much as they care about something like coffee. And so I think that's where this probably this discussion probably ends there. You know, it, it it would if the story didn't include these two lines. And these, in in a way, these are the two most fascinating parts of this story to me. The cafe will also serve ice cream dishes, juices, and coffees. Later this year, Kellogg says it plans to offer delivery. Let's take those separately. <laughs> On the one hand, I like that they're diversifying their options. That sure. means there's a potentially a greater chance that this cafe succeeds. And I was going to say, we'll know if this thing is really working for them if they come out later this year or sometime next year and say, we're opening a second cafe, a third cafe, that sort of thing. On the other hand, why is the cafe working? Is it because of the cereal or is it because they sell really good coffee? Oh, and by the way, ice cream. <laughs> or they, is it the location? Right. They plan to offer delivery. What is that? So that restaurant, that cafe, will offer delivery. No, no. I think, just the, the I think company's it's gonna the offer... company is going to offer delivery. What is that about? Yeah, see, that's right. Are they going to be like Amazon and start start their own fleet of trucks? I too? just don't even understand why they bring that up. Like, I mean, their their better bet is just to go ahead and hitch their wagon to Amazon Star and let Amazon deliver their stuff. I mean, that just seems to be not something that they specialize in probably not something they'll be very good at uh, i mean unless they're i mean i i would assume they're using some third party provider in some capacity but i mean wow yeah is that again i go back i just don't think people care as much about cereal or something like that as they do about, about like coffee with coffee this works i mean coffee coffee can get you know that that people are very passionate about their coffee um I don't. I don't think they're quite as passionate about their cereal, unfortunately, for Kellogg. What is the breakfast cereal that for you is uh, hmm. some an indulgence? Something where you say, I, I, "I'm going to treat myself to this. I can't have this every day or even every week. But I'm just going to this one. You know, once or twice a year, I'm going to indulge in a big heaping bowl of." See, that's a tough one. My lovely wife knows that my tendency is to just eat like a little bowl of cereal for dessert. Not like with milk or anything. I'll just, it's kind of like yep. chips or crackers or whatever. It's just cereal, you know, and I just kind of notch on it for the rest of the evening. But I tend to buy cereals that are probably, you know, 
better better for you. I mean, I guess I don't know. I'm probably going to catch a ration there on the corn pops thing, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would guess probably it would be Crunch Berries, Captain Crunch Berries. Like yeah. I know I can't eat those things on yeah. a regular basis, but they are really really good. Every once in a while, <laughs> a Captain Crunch is just so good. Uh. Yeah, but then late, you know, an hour later, where it's still kicked to your teeth, and you think, God. yeah, and you know, you're like, I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore, you know, <laughs> and then you're like, well, so it's it's just for occasions, special occasions. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 